want to remind you about the wonderful Word of God. Its main purpose, in my opinion, is to get people to be reconciled with God. The first reason for the Bible is to teach us how to live with God forever. The second reason for the Bible is to teach us uh, how to live after we know we're going to live with God forever. It tells us what to do, what not to do. It tells us how to get things right when we're not right. And it tells us how to live right so we don't fall in the ditch of sin. I'm glad I got the Bible. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I want to encourage you to love your Bible, to read your Bible, to study your Bible, to meditate, think about the Bible, and then obey the Bible. When you read the Bible, I want to encourage you to make an effort to identify anything God tells you to do. Look for commandments. Uh, look for counsel about how to be a good parent, a husband, a wife, a father, a son, a daughter. Uh, ask God, what do you want me to do? As a business owner, ask the Lord, what's the counsel you have for me? When you're put up against a stressful situation, ask God for commandments, ask him for counsel. Hey, listen, when you're fearful, look to the word of God for comfort. He wants to help us with that, and he can help you. When you need wisdom and you have some difficult decisions to make, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Oh, listen, friend, you want to know what the Bible says. You want to practice what the Bible says. Well, right smack in the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Isaiah. Usually, Psalms, I think, is probably the center of the Bible, but Isaiah is not too far away from there. If you just open your Bible in the middle and open it up, you might come close to the book of Isaiah. It's a unique book of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The main theme of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ and reconciliation with him. He's the main character. And you'll find references to Jesus all through the book of Isaiah. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 53 is a, is a prophecy of what Jesus would suffer on the cross. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, is prophetic that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. Isaiah 9, verse number 6, and he shall call his name Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, so forth and so on. You'll find that Jesus is all through the book of, of uh, Isaiah. Also, like the Bible, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah has a very Old Testament feel to it. It comes with judgments and curses and, and prophetic themes against, against God and helping them get back to the Lord and telling them what to do and what they've done wrong. But in chapter 40, you begin seeing the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and concludes with his everlasting kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. The more I read the Bible, the more I realize how smart God is. He is a smart God. He's got it all together. And the, it's deeper than the bottom of the well. And if you've read the Bible one time or 200 times, you'll find something special every time you turn these beautiful pages of the Scripture. Because it tells us the mind of God. It tells us the way of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of those who believe the Bible. You Believe the Bible to be safe. You practice it so you and I can be holy. And it, it contains food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's 
staff. And it's a traveler's map. It's a pilgrim's staff. It's a soldier's sword. And it's the Christian's charger. Make much of the Bible. Well, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, is Isaiah's call to service. God records for us this young man. Now, he served under four kings. The first king was Uzziah, and then uh, Jotham, and then Ahaz, and I think Hezekiah was the last king that he served under. He was called to be a prophet. He opens the pages of uh, Isaiah chapter 1. He is called, his dad's name is Amos, and God tells him, I want you to spend your life prophesying for me. Now, prophecy is a lonely gift. If you have the gift of prophecy, occasionally you'll realize the loneliness of that gift. Well, many prophets of the Bible, they had to tell people what God said. They didn't like it. They didn't, they didn't rejoice in all of the judgments and the, uh, the consequences that people were going through, but they did tell people what God said. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He told people what was wrong, and he gave them a heart. Uh, to, to change and to turn. And if not, judgment was going to come. And he got to see with his eyes the prophecy that he foretold for God's people. And we find Isaiah also. He had to give some very negative things, but then he got to give some very positive things that relate to us today through the person of Jesus Christ. But in chapter 6, as Brother Colston read for us, is the vision of his calling. I don't think it was an actual event necessarily that that coals actually touched his, his uh, lips and, and burned his epidermis on his mouth. But I think it is a vision that he knew when it was over, it was time for him to serve the Lord. And I hope that tonight, after we finish, that you have a heart that says, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to do whatever you want to do. Let's evaluate this particular vision, if we can. Pick up with verse number one. The Bible says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Here he gives a story. He said, in the same year that Uzziah passed away, I also saw the Lord. And he saw him in a place that he needs to be in your life and my life. The Lord needs to be high and lifted up. He's to be in a place where you see him. Sometimes I've said this, and I, I try to practice it first before I tell you this. And that is, we ought to keep our eyes up, keep our head up, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But keep our heart soft and tender, sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Well, he says, in the year that Uzziah died, now Uzziah was a great king. He eventually would die in a halfway house, a hospital, if you would, with leprosy because he got really presumptuous, thought he was a priest, and then when he was confronted, he rebelled. It's kind of one of those stories that you don't want to have. Listen, friend, don't end bad. <laughs> end strong. Uh, I like to say the saying I heard from Brother Cavanaugh, all of us, all the way. We don't need another casualty in the Christian life. We don't need someone else to stop serving Christ, using some excuse why they don't serve Christ now as a person or a situation. Quit that. You don't want to stand before God in a few days with those lame excuses. Don't serve God because of people. Don't serve God because of an in a situation at church. Serve God because of God. The greatest joy of serving Him is because of who He is and what He has done for you and I. And he tells us over and over again, he puts up flashing billboards. Don't quit. 
Don't be weary in well-doing. In due season you'll reap if you faint not. He says, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. He says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He reminds us over and over and again in the Bible to be a faithful. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Don't quit. Let all your things be done with charity. You want to finish strong. Uzziah did not. I mean, he forgot his boundaries, he forgot his blessings, he forgot what God gave him, and he didn't finish strong. You can read about a story elsewhere in Scripture. But when, I, when Uzziah finally died, if I said Isaiah a while ago, I meant Uzziah. When Uzziah finally died, he, um, his prophet, Isaiah, a younger man at the time, it was his first of four kings he would serve under, he saw also another king, and he was God, high and lifted up. And the Bible says that his train filled the temple. Now, there's some, some con com considerations about that. And by the way, the higher view you and I have of God, the more we will do for him. You saw in verse number 1 that Isaiah saw the Lord high and up. And verse number 8, when he saw him in his right place, he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll serve you. I'll do. You know what will determine the, the, the ceiling that you will raise as far as service for Jesus Christ and I will is what I think of Jesus, what I think of God. My life will mirror what I believe about God. I oftentimes will say, and I believe with all my heart, I heard my friend Brother Warren Johnson say it, is the most important thing about you is faith. Your faith in God will determine your works. James says, if you say you have faith, well, show me your faith by your works. You know why a person will stay on a bus route for years and decades? Because he has a lot of faith in God. Not faith in people. Well, if you work on a bus route, you get terribly discouraged. You know what? A man stays faithful to the Lord and faithful to his wife and faithful to his children for decades and doesn't fall off the wagon, the proverbial wagon, is not because of faith in his spouse Faith in his kids, faith in the system, faith in the Christian school, faith in the church. No. Faith in the pastor. No. Faith in God. And the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Him that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I want to encourage you. See the Lord high and lifted up. It will raise a ceiling of your commitment. The, the more I see how high he is the less I'm bothered about all these little things. And the more I'll be faithfully serving God. I don't know about you, but I believe we need some kamikaze Christians in this day. We got enough casual saints. Anybody who's casual is just a step away from potentially being a casualty. Let's get in there. Let's launch out into the deep. Hey, quit playing in the wade pools of life. Goofing around, doing things that just everybody does that. Anybody can make a buck. And if God's called you to that, I know many of you have been gifted funnels. God has given you the ability to give generously to the things of God, and you get it. You're trying to live simply and, and to give generously and to love the Lord while you do that and raise your family. If that's what God's called you to do, that's fine. But if God has touched your life to serve Him, there's some of us, we've been, we need to be on the mission field 10 years ago. And we still have availability to do that. We need to be doing something for God, and we're not doing it. Hey, you know what will change all of that? A high view of God. See Him high and lifted up. How do you see the Lord? How do I see the Lord? That's a good question.
Number two, he says about the Lord that his train filled the temple. I don't know about all of this, but I, I read this week in one of the commentaries that kings who would conquer other kings would cut the bottom part of their robe off and sew it onto their robe. And the, law, the more conquering they were, the more victorious they were, the longer the train of their, t of, of their, of their uh, own robe was. Now, I'll just tell you this. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't understand everything about that. But I'm glad I serve a God who's victorious. I read the last chapter. He wins. Hey, kings and kings and will come and fall. But Jesus will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords both now and forever. By the way, you might get used to that. If he is your king, if he is my king, if he is my Lord, he's your Lord, we ought to start serving him now. And I say, well, I can't wait till I get to heaven. We ought to be faithful right now. This is our parentheses. This is our opportunity. This is our chance to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be faithful about doing that. Don't go just goofing around here and there and everywhere. Let's find out what God wants us to do, and let's do it. And let's serve him. If he is the victorious king that he says he is, if his train fills the temple, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, let's serve him in that way. The Bible goes on to describe this vision as, you, as Isaiah says, in the same year that my main king died, I loved him, I looked to him, I also saw the Lord. And he was a little bit higher than Uzziah. And his, king was a lot, his kingdom was a lot broader. His conquering abilities were many, much, much greater. And then he says, I saw something else. Verse number two, above that throne, the holiness of God stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he's covered his head or his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. He's describing an angelic being. It seems to me like there are two different groups of angelic beings, seraphims and cherubims. Seraphims seem to be those angels that hover over the throne and the holiness of God. Their job is to protect the holiness of God. The cherubims on the other side, they are working in the work of God. They protect the work of God. We see that folks who minister, no wonder about that. And, and I think the cherubims, probably that would be your Michael and, and your Gabriel and, and uh, Lucifer were in charge of the workers that work and minister on the planet and here. But the seraphims seem to look over the, uh, the holiness of God and, and just to be there. I think it's interesting. The Bible says they had six wings. Two were used to fly about, but two covered their face, showing uh, their humility. Two covered their feet, showing their reverence to the Lord. Their reverence and humility were shown there through that. And then we see what they say. Would you look at the next verse? Verse number three. And these seraphim, these angelic beings, they cried unto one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Lord of hosts, excuse me, the Lord of hosts is found 235 times in your Bible, over 60 times here in the book of Isaiah. And it speaks of, of, a, of the Lord, those who have great armies following them. And he's just talking about he's the Lord of hosts. He has many, many soldiers, many uh, that follow him. And then he says about them, the seraphim says, holy, holy, holy. Now, oh, there's several opinions about that. I think it, uh, it talks about the three pronouncements of the holiness of God. It also refers to his deity. 
There are several things about the holiness of God. There's three things I know that magnify the holiness of God. Number one is God's deity. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is immutable. The deity of God display uh, and displays his holiness. I would say also the decency of God displays his holiness. How he conducts himself. Not only what he is and what he can do, but what he does. I'm so grateful for the mercy of God. It shows his holiness. I'm so glad for the justice of God. I'm so glad for the grace of God. His decency and how he loves people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And dear friend, if you're watching tonight and you're not sure that you have the love of Christ in the person of his son, uh, Jesus Christ, as your Savior, I hope that you'll not leave this broadcast the same way. I hope you'll accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and experience the love of Christ. Boy, the world, the devil, society wants you to think negatively of God. Oh, that's not the kind of God that God tells about himself here. The Lord is gracious. He's plenteous in mercy. The Bible tells in Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And, and let him turn to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon. He loves you. This is what shows his holiness. That he would not let sin go to heaven, but he would make a covering for sin. I like what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Dear friend, do you have the righteousness of God in you, on you? You'll go into eternity with your sin or with God's Son. There's no other way. If I had to stand in the, court, in the courtroom of heaven on my own righteousness, I'd be condemned forever to be separated from God in the lake of fire. But I'm glad that the day I accepted Jesus Christ, now this is me, but this is Jesus. And when God looks at me, he sees me through his son. I'm righteous because of who Jesus is. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? There's a lot of wonderful things about salvation. But one of the most wonderful things about salvation is I now have peace. There's two types of peace. Number one, the peace with God. That means God has nothing against me now. Oh, I have sinned against him. I have grieved him. I have sorrowed him with my actions, my attitudes, and, and uh, all of the things that I have done. But he has nothing against me. Why? Because I have Jesus. Because I have been justified, declared innocent, not because of me, but because of him. And I'm grateful that God made Jesus to be sin for John, who Jesus knew no sin, but so that John could be made the righteousness of God because of Jesus. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Oh, listen, you've got to have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you ought to live like a Christian. You ought to live in such a way that you know he is with you. Elevate your behavior. Live in a holy, righteous way. And be concerned that other people know the same thing that you and I know. But he gives us this holy pronouncement. These seraphims, these angelic hosts say one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I think it could speak of the Father. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, and holy is the Holy Ghost. Look at verse number 4, would you? The Bible tells us this, that the post of the door of the temple 
moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Smoke is a type of God's wrath and judgment. And it talks about what moved the temple door, what moved that, uh, that uh, shell that the door swung in, what moved the post it, and the foundations there. It was the voice of the one who spoke, the power of a word. It broke, it moved the, the board, it moved the post, and then we find that God filled his entire temple. This is the vision that, that uh, Isaiah saw. And he could see that God not only is a God of love, he's a God of justice. He's not only a God of mercy, but he is a God who will bring wrath eventually on this planet. I'm not here just to preach hell, fire, and brimstone, but let me just tell you, hell, fire, and brimstone, that came from the Bible. Hey, there is a heaven. There's a sweet place that is a beautiful home for all those who are prepared to go there. But there is a lake of fire. There is a place of, and I didn't just say this. This is something from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I, my loving Jesus wouldn't do that. Hey, start reading your Bible, friend. You'll find he said more about hell than he did about a heaven or any other matter. He wants to keep you from there. He wants to make sure that you don't spend eternity in a lake of fire forever without God. I wish I could tell you that it's not forever. That's just there for a little while and you pay your sins and you get out. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you think it does, you need to start reading the book of the Revelation. Chapter 20, begin in verse number 1, but especially in verse number 10 down to verse number 15. And you'll find out real quickly that he is serious about this eternal separation that you don't have to have and you should not have. And if you're not sure you're saved, don't let this broadcast go without calling and letting us explain more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, if you would please, back in verse number 5, the Bible says, Then said I, now Isaiah describes what he's seen, now verse number 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes had seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Just a quick thought here. Once again, Isaiah is the prophet. He's the man of God. But he had kind of hooked his wagon to Uzziah, in my opinion. And he needed more than just his, his leader. He needed a relationship with his God. What sometimes people will sometimes just get satisfied as long as pastor walks with God. As long as my dad walks with God. As long as my husband walks with God. As long as my wife walks with God. As long as my Sunday school teacher walks with God. Listen, friend, you're looking way too low. You need to get your eyes up and see the Lord and who He is. He's a much better. Many people are out of church today because, oh, my spiritual leader, they were hypocr hypocritical or they failed. Well, well, what do you think? They're just human beings. They didn't save you. They didn't pay for your sin. Jesus did that. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and see Him in His place. Here what we see here real quickly, the Bible tells us, we see that, that uh, Isaiah says this. He saw the Lord high enough and he said, wow, God. Then we see in the presence of God, seeing his brightness and his, the smoke of his wrath and his anger that would be one day poured out on sin, the holiness of God. We see he not only said, wow, God, he said, woe me. Oh, man, when I get close to God, I see myself for who I am. You see this all through the Bible. You can look in Daniel chapter 10. 
I think in verse number 28 or 38, I can't remember exactly, but you'll find when he saw God and when he saw the presence of the Lord, the Bible says when he got in his presence, he felt corrupt. See what happened to the arrogant Saul on the road to Damascus. When he came in encounter with God, what happened? He fell on his face. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, you can read what John saw when he was encountered with the, with the God of heaven. He found, fell on his face as dead, the Bible says. Listen, friend, every once in a while we'll find an arrogant Christian say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. No, you won't, Spanky. No, sir. You're not going to be a smart aleck up there. You won't be pointing fingers in God's face. You won't be telling me, I want you to explain some things to me. No, sir. No, ma'am. You'll find yourself on your face where you need to be. You'll find yourself broken and humbled. Job chapter 43 or 42, as you see in the scripture we read this morning, when he heard his voice and he saw what God was doing, he said, I abhor myself and I repent in ashes. Dear friend, if you find yourself a little cocky, let me encourage you to do something. Get where God is. Get in the presence of the Lord and you're going to find that God's going to minister to you. He's going to help you. Let me hasten, if we can, look, if you would please, the Bible tells us that he saw the king and he, it touched his lips and he realized, I'm an unclean man. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having live coals in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar. Once again, this is a, this is a, um, a vision, but he flew off and took some of those hot coals from off the altar and placed it on his lips. He laid it on my mouth and said, Lo, this thing hath touched my lips. Verse 7, And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. This is what God did to take away his, his sin. And then verse 8, the Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I want you to notice what an encounter with God would bring, dear friend. An encounter with God will bring a couple things. Number one, uh, it's, it's going to bring honesty to your heart and life. I was sitting with a couple not too long ago, and I reminded them of something I've reminded of myself. God is attracted to humility. Are you humble? Am I humble? See, not only humility, but God's attracted to honesty. You want to prove yourself among other people, start getting honest. And then God's attracted to holiness. You know, all that comes when you get real with God. Isaiah had a real, clean, face-to-face -face with the Lord. He got, and he saw God in his rightful place. Have you seen God in your rightful place? Let me tell you how I know if you have, and you can tell if I know I have. Is number one, I find if we, we see God in his rightful place, number one, we'll, get, uh, we'll be honest. We'll get honest with God and ourselves. He didn't say, you know, I'm pretty good. No, he said, I, woe is me. I'm in trouble. I'm a mess. I have got unclean lips and I live with a bunch of people just like me. He got honest. When we get an encounter with God, we'll get honest. Number two, we'll get clean. Are you clean? I'm not talking about a little cleaner. I'm talking about are you clean? Has God's fiery judgment touched you? Has it touched your lips? Has it touched your heart? Are you a clean man? Are you a clean woman? Let me tell you, you can't be clean on a lifestyle 
uh, of wrong kind of music, wrong kind of videos, wrong kind of associations. You need to get a checkup from the neck up. Say, I, when you meet with God, you'll get honest and you'll get clean. And one more thing you'll get, and that's yielded. You'll get surrendered. In verse 8, we see here, when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, he got honest with God. I'm undone. I'm messed up. He got clean from God. Aren't you glad that we can get clean? The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, we confess our sin. We agree with God. We say the same thing. We confess. God already knows what I did. I need to confess it. Then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And isn't that wonderful? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we get a face-to-face -face meeting with God, we get honest, we get clean, and then we get yielded. We get surrendered to the Lord. I'm convinced that many people, and I can look in my own life and see, I'm not as yielded as I ought to be, and it's because I'm not honest, I'm not clean. The wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What does God want you to do? What does God want me to do? You know, I'll find that surrendered place. You'll find that surrendered place when we meet with the Lord. We have a face-to-face, -face and we see him in his rightful place. Listen, let's quit playing church. Let's quit playing Christianity. Let's get in a face-to-face -face meeting with God. Let God have the keys to every room of your house. Why don't you look your eyes and quit making excuses of what you've seen and who hurt you and what this happened and all that stuff. And why don't you get your eyes on to him in his rightful place. I think we'll do that. We'll get honest real quick. We'll get clean because he'll make us clean with confession and repentance. And then we'll become yielded. The Lord said, among, I don't think it was a seraphims. I think it was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he said to, whom shall we send? We got a message to give my people. Whom shall we send? Who will represent us? Who will go for us? Who will be our ambassadors? And before he can get out of his mouth, the surrendered servant said, here am I. Send me. Is God calling you? Is God stirring you? Are you sick of just trying to connect the dots and live comfortably in this world? Are you ready to serve Christ? Teenager, this time we've had down. We haven't had the teen revival. We haven't had the, teen revo re, uh, uh, the, uh, the evangelism outreach. We haven't had the Saturday soul winning. Are you tender? You got your own ideas? Are you surrender? Are you clean? Are you honest with God and your mom and your dad and those who are your spiritual authorities? I think if you are, you'll be a surrendered person. You'll want what God wants for you. Let's ask God to help us. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for the privilege to be a part of this service. Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. I pray you'd work in my heart. Work in the hearts of our friends that are watching, wherever they may be listening. Whether seven years old or seven, I pray all of us would do what you want us to do in this way. As I continue this invitation, if you're a child of God and God's speaking to you, you've got a little God. That's why we have a little Christianity. You see him as one of your peers instead of high and lifted up. Why don't you say, God, teach me who you are. Give me a vision of who you are so that I can be honest with myself, cleansed by your forgiveness, and surrendered to do what you want me to do.
I hope you'll be there. Dear friend, if you're listening tonight, and I've referred to this several times, but you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I remember being that way. I remember watching a friend of mine pass away. As I laid in the hospital bed, having my hip operated on, I thought several times, what if that were me? If I would have died, would I go to heaven? Would I be with God forever? Well, when I got back to church, after that couple surgeries on my leg, I was ready. I was ready to believe and receive Jesus as my Savior. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to humble yourself and recognize your sin and its wickedness against God? Your need for forgiveness to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus did for you what you cannot do for yourself. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to pay the price of sin, separated from God. But Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. He did all that was needed to be done. He, the innocent, died for us, the guilty. And he purchased the gift of eternal life. It's God's gift. A gift has to be free and has to be accepted. Have you accepted the gift of eternal life? If so, when? Do you know when you put your faith in Christ? I think that's important. I don't want anybody to stand before God and say, I know you, God, and he'll say, I don't know you. I don't remember when we met. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure when that was. Make that right now. I want you to nail that down. Say to God right now, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. My only hope is to accept Jesus as my Savior. The best way I know how, I confess I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I accept your gift of eternal life. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Make me your eternal child. God's ready to do that. He says that he gives us eternal life and we can never perish. No one will take us away from God. The Bible says, but as many as received him. When did you receive him? To them, he gave you power to become God's child even then to believe on His name. Make sure you know you're born to God's family. If you just accepted Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to call us. If you're listening on the radio, call us at 219-932-0711. I'm going to give it to you again. Please don't hesitate. Call us. Let us know and let us help you. We have a book that we want to send to you called Understanding Salvation. I think it'll be a help to you. I believe it'll help you. It's 219-932-0711. Let us help you. You say, Pastor, I, I'm still confused. Call us. Let a man with a man, lady with a lady, talk for you on the phone. Set up a time where we can talk to you if it need be by FaceTime or in person. We want you to know for sure that you have eternal life. It's God's greatest gift. Make sure it's yours. 